Hey everybody and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh and today I'm talking about Talking to Dragons by Patricia C. Reed. So let's talk to the magic of books. I have finished this book and let's just say this is definitely my least favorite out of the four of the Enchanted Chronicles series. And I think I have a hard, I think the other ones are just better than this one. Now let's talk about why for a second. Now, is there anything wrong with this book? No, not really. It's if you were to read this as a standalone and not have the previous three books, I think it would be fine. There's just so much we know that doesn't kind of add up exactly right with what we do know. Now let's just talk about it first. This is something I actually learned. Uh, for the first time when I read this, and I've read this book multiple times, I don't usually read the introduction uh, or the acknowledgments because I just don't usually. So this book, the fourth book of the Enchanted Chronicle series, was actually the first book published. Let me think about that for a second. This book was written first, which means that technically dealing with dragons, searching for dragons, and calling on dragons are prequels. That just blew my mind when when I read that. And when you read that, and you see that you understand this fourth book being so much different, or so so much more different than the other books, makes so much more sense. And you can really understand why it feels a little bit off. Now, I I, don't, I made this sounds like a, a hating on this book. I don't hate this book. I just really struggled with it. I don't think I'm going to read it again for a while, at the very least. It's very different in tone than the first three. The first three are mostly humorous, and they're a lot of fun, but they still have an engaging plot. This one has, it's a very meandering plot. Now, it was written in 1985, and that makes sense for itself, but it is, it's a little tough to follow. Not, tough to follow is the wrong word. There is a lot of questions that this book leaves. Now, put credit to Patricia Reed, the three books that come first, you know, Dealing with Dragons, Searching, and Calling for Dragons, those do an excellent job of, like, pre-fleshing out the story so that they match up with what happens in this book, except for a couple things that we'll talk about when we get to the spoiler section. And I guess I just really didn't like the way that uh, Cimmerine was portrayed in this book, because she's in the book for about 10 seconds, and then she's gone till the very end of the book. And just, I, I appreciate the way that she raised her Sunday star, that he's very polite. And this is really not spoilery, you guys, like this, the first line of the book and the back cover and everything, like, but he goes in and he knows nothing. Okay, let's just start talking about spoiler sections. And this, like so many things make sense. And you realize why book three is the way it is, is because it has to go from book two to book four, and it has to fit kind of everything in and fix everything. So in order to prepare us for book three. So I said I was going to talk about spoilers. Let's start talking about some spoilery stuff. Our story starts off with Cimmerine and Daystar. We are in Daystar's perspective here, which is fine. We've been in a different perspective every book. I'm fine with that. We keep shifting. I approve of it. The story starts off with Daystar meeting a wizard who's at his house. And Cimmerine, of course, melts the wizard and then comes back with a sword, tucks it and gives it to Daystar and sends him off into the Enchanted Forest to figure out what he's supposed to do with it. And I understand, okay... This little bit of rant. I understand that he can't know what he's supposed to do with it, because if he knows he's carrying the right sword, then the wizards will be able to find it. But clearly, these wizards are just incompetent, because the sword has 15 different names, and I'm sure if they searched for it by 15 different names that he does know he's carrying, he knows he's carrying the sword of the Sleeping King. 
well, like, have they ever never heard that name before? Have they never thought to search with that name before? Regardless, Daystar starts journeying in the Enchanted Forest. He meets a lizard named Saz, who gives him some helpful advice and tells him he has to figure everything out on his own. He then meets Shiara, a fire witch, who's struggling to cast her fire witch magic. She doesn't have a good hold of it. They go on some adventures together. They end up meeting a, a small, kind of not baby, but like teenager dragon, which fits in right well with them. They travel, and they keep getting told, oh, you have to make it to Kazul. You have to make it to the castle. You'll know what to do then. They fight some people. They stop some wizards. They survive some accidents. And then they meet Kazul. He runs into the castle. He's able to find the king, save him, and everybody lives happily ever after. Shiara gets to go live with Kazul and hopefully learn some more. Some learn how to use her fire magic correctly. Daystar and Shiara have kind of gotten close. Um, Daystar's excited about it, thinking, what can I do to, to make it so she has to keep coming back to me? You know, he learns how to use the... Uh, he learns that he's the prince of the enchanted forest. All's well that ends well. Now, let's just talk about a couple things here that I just, this is, I don't like. And I'm sorry to all of you guys that do like it. Tell me why you like it. Tell me why I'm wrong. I'd love to hear it. Daystar is a decent protagonist, but he, and this is full spoilers for the whole book, he is so dumb and so smart at the same time. Like, he, he figures out a lot of things with the sword. He's understanding a lot of things. I don't know why Simmerine couldn't tell him he was a prince or, like, why she never talked about her, his dad. She never once talked about him. Like, and Daystar figures out that he's his dad. Like, that just, ugh. But Daystar's a moron because he meets the princess. He's like, oh, princess, I'll help you. And the princess is like, oh, well, come help me slay a dragon. Or slay, you know, save somebody. And she's like, well, I can't leave the forest, so I can't help you with that. And the princess is like, well, just give me your sword. And this is the sword that he's, like, refused to let go of in multiple situations because he knows it's very important and he doesn't want to lose the sword. And he tries to give her the sword. Like, Daystar, come on. You were just like, oh, I made a promise I had to help her. You made a promise to help her, not a promise to give her your sword and to lose the only quest you're on. Like, come on, buddy. Shiara is the smart one here. She could stand to be a little bit more polite, which is kind of her whole deal throughout the story. She has to be polite to use her magic because the sword, you know, cursed her with that, basically, when they were touching it with Daystar. And listen more to Daystar because he's the prince of the Enchanted Forest, even if he hadn't been officially recognized at that point. But, like... Come on, listen to Shiara. She's in the right here. You don't owe this princess anything. In fact, your dad would probably kick the princess out because she's so annoying. She's very annoying. The princess of the, the night, it was fun. I could have done with about two and a half chapters less of them. And they're only in for two and a half chapters. So let's just move on. I really liked the, uh, there's so much, there was so much fun stuff to like, you know, finding the key in the caves of chance be, by chance, right? By accident. Of course, that's hilarious. That makes sense. That fits in very well with our theme. Just, I, I expected so much, uh, this is a different little thing, but like, they start, he's just fine, he's he's a teenager, so he's really dumb and figuring stuff out still, but like, they, we meet Telemane, we meet Morwen, and they just feel different than they did in the first two books, right, or the, in the book two and book three, right? They don't feel the same, and that's maybe because we get to see them more in those first two books, and they have more of a personality, and then this is going back to when they had very little personality, but she has to work them in, and by the way... Morwen and Telemain's marriage comes out of nowhere. I do not remember them being that way in the books, and I just read them. I did not. I totally had forgotten that they got married at the end, because they're talking about getting ready for the marriage, 
And everybody's like, Simran, I think you're moving a little too fast. You know, Daystar and Shi'ar are still like, they haven't even really accepted that they're going out on dates and stuff yet. And then more went and tell me, and I'm like, oh no, we're getting married. And it's like, oh, you guys are? Like, really? It's just so surprising. Also, Antero, he's not even like, he's in this book and he's so obsessed with the kid. It's very true to Antero. Huge amounts of confidence, low amounts of skill. Makes sense. He's not the uh, son of the head wizard anymore. Zeminar was. You know, it makes sense. Zeminar had to die because he's not in this one. It just, that's what makes the third book feel so kind of shoehorned and railroaded. Like, you have to match up with this fourth book. It's kind of a problem a lot of prequels have if they don't, not if they aren't planned. I don't know how to say this. There's, it's, it's a tough thing to do is to write a prequel and have it line up right so that you don't feel railroaded in getting to where you're going. I just don't think, it just felt a little bit pushy on, you know, where it had to happen. The... Must be acknowledged by water, earth, air, and fire of the forest. I don't even we don't remember Mendenbar going through that. We didn't really see him getting crowned, but it was kind of just said like his dad died and, you know, he became the king of the forest immediately. But I, I really did love all the ways she was able to tie those things back in. She was able to write three whole books, basically, off of this one book. And the concept for it was great. And I really do think if you read this book on its own and you didn't even know about the other ones, maybe it would be better. But unfortunately, as is the case, you get better as you go on. And so the stuff that you write later is better than what you wrote before, usually. Hopefully, right? That means that this one stands out a little bit as just being not quite as good. Overall, it's a fun book. I enjoy it, but it's not high on a reread priority form. Well, I... I don't want to say that I don't enjoy reading it, but it's a, it's a very neutral enjoy reading it. Very, I read it. How about that? I read it, and I will probably read it again eventually. If I reread this series anytime soon, it will be the first two books only, because those are the best two books. And I do believe that's everything I have to talk about. Talking to Dragons. It's a very short book. It is what it is. It's a good, it's a it's a well-written book. How about that? Uh, that's going to wrap up my discussion, though. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, reasons why this book is so good, you know, please send those to libromancypod at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And remember to talk to the magic of books. <laughs> <laughs>